You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Um, come and look around for, at someone and say hello to them. Be nice, please. Good morning. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Tell them your real name. <laughs> All right. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. And if you did not know their name, what would you think they were called? So just, so, so hang on, hang on, now wait. So tell the person next to you that if I didn't know your name, this is what I would have called you. So let's try that out. <laughs> Femi, I would have called you Fumi, but... <laughs> That's a nice, Fumi is a nice name. Huh? Hallelujah. Um... It's been a beautiful week. It's been a beautiful week. Ah, it's only a name. I say you should ask. Relax. <laughs> okay. Um, let's celebrate Buki Olowode. That's the hired crowd at the back. <laughs> well, Buki, thank God for your life. We celebrate what God has done and what we know he will continue to do in your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Buki is um, Folusha's sister. Um, and and I think their mom is in the church today. Just... I don't want to call her out, but I just wanted to just let her know that we really love her. She's a life pointer at heart. So we see her. She sneaks in every now and again. Oh, mom, we love you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, breakfast was fantastic. We just... For those of us who came late, I'm really sorry. <laughs> we, we ate so much. Um, but I think, so I'll read Acts chapter 2 to us. And just, it's important that I read this. Because I've been talking about what does church do on Monday to Saturday. Before we come for service, what does church do? So Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 42 says that, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many things and many wonders and signs performed by the, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this morning, it was fun just to see people eat. Um, for some brothers, it was an opportunity to see the lady they had been looking at, just see how she eats. <laughs> and... Um, but, but beyond that, and just even you know, see what people like, because you know, some people, I was impressed by some people who, yeah, I'm an egg. I was like, yeah, really, I wouldn't have known you from your accent. I was, <laughs> but, 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 um, but this is what church is about. Church is about sharing. I, I said to myself earlier in the day that the extent to which you share um, speaks about the depth of your faith. You know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, so if you're not sharing much, you need to check the depth of the faith that you have. And it's important. And all through this week, in your own way, and as God will give you opportunity, I would like you to share with people. 
take someone to lunch. Share scripture with someone. Um, I, I know people, it's not, it's not common to call a friend and say, I just want to share something with you because they think something is wrong uh, and all that. I think you're trying to act all spiritual. But just share something. You know how easily you send uh, things on social media, jokes, and jokes are nice. Send me jokes if you find any. But just send somebody. I just finished reading Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to share with you the revelation of Christ. I just share with them in a nice way, non-threatening way. Okay? But share with someone this week. Okay? But because church shares. And what we read here and what we did this morning is what church does. Okay? So please tell the person next to you, please share with me this week. Okay, tell the other person on the other side. Okay? Please share with me this week. All right? Um, this morning, um, just we'll continue our discussion about leadership and on the topic, where do great leaders come from? Um, I've been warned by a couple of people not to mention anything about the American elections. Uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, but we thank God. Church is moving on. <laughs> um, where do great leaders come from? So if I was going to ask you who a great leader is that you know, who would you mention? So, so rules, no Trump, no Hillary. Let's get that out of the way. People are still healing from us. <laughs> all that. Who would you mention? Nelson Mandela, okay. Obama, okay, okay. Yes, yeah. Oh, God bless you. That's the lady I pointed. That's the lady I pointed. I planted in the stage. So P.I., but you were supposed to say it later, but it's okay. Well done. Well done, yes. Well done. Who else? Who else? <laughs> Who else? Come on, guys. Come on, let's do this. Buhari, yes, let's do it. Come on, come on. Sorry? As in Wenger. <laughs> but, but seriously, who would you call a great leader? Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, T.D. Jakes. It's interesting. So, so it's interesting, and um, I, could, I could ask you why, but um, that would make for an interesting discussion. Uh, but there's a bit of an academic distinction between who great leaders are and who good, lead, good leaders are. So they say that... Um, and I read this in the paper, so I know it's academic. So they say that good leadership is about the outcomes. So there's good leaders and there are bad, out, bad leaders, okay? So bad leaders are the ones that take people to senseless wars and kill people. As I say that, one name comes to all our minds. Um, and the good leaders will bring people to, God, to godly outcomes, to good places. Um, great leadership is about the skill the intensity, the passion that you do with the, the, the quality. And so this morning when we speak about great leadership, we're speaking about great good leadership, right? So we're clear about that. This is not about Hitler or any such person. We're speaking about great good leadership. So where do great leaders come from? Um, I don't have slides today. I was actually meant to be writing on a flip chart, but I can't find the flip chart, so one place I want us all to end up today is where we give consideration to ourselves and say, am I your name, middle name, surname of so XY address, am I becoming a great leader? 
am I becoming a great leader? I said last week we had this whole discussion about leadership. And I believe that the Christian faith is a great call to leadership. If you were not here last week, we had this initial discussion. Great preacher last week was on fire, you know, just preaching a storm and all sorts of revelation I've not heard in a while. Uh, but if you were here last week, you have your notes. And you know what we said about leadership last week is the fact that God has put all sorts of opportunities around us, in our country, in our generation, and because we are Christians, that make for leadership. So the Christian case for leadership is founded upon the mandate we have in the gospel. Um, and while political positions are really important, and you could see how heated the last week was, they are not, uh, there are a lot of political positions which will mean nothing in another 10 years. There are a lot of political positions which will mean nothing in another 20 years. Uh, if you read through scripture, you do find people who had leadership position in countries and in kingdoms that as we speak, we know nothing about anymore. Okay? Because kingdoms will then change and the configurations will change. So political position is very important. And I've said this before, if you become president, we have a deal. Right? You remember the deal, right? Church, you remember the deal. Fulusha, you're not here. Okay, so simple. The deal is I need to do one year of my life as chaplain of the chapel at Asso Rock. <laughs> so if any of you becomes president, please, uh, let's not forget that. I'm not joking. Okay, I will take you with me. Don't worry. <laughs> but great leaders are not perfect. Let's start on that. If you're writing notes, please write that down. Very important. Great leaders are not perfect. It's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 30, Apostle Paul says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to confound the strong and the lowly and despised things that are not to nullify the things that are. So if you are here today and you can confidently tell me a couple of reasons why you are not material to be a good leader, then that you're in good company. You're very qualified. If you can tell me reasons why you cannot be a good leader, a great leader for that matter. I, I believe that great leaders are more than just those who gather great crowds together every now and then. Because there are some great leaders who only reach a few people. I think that great leadership is more about the magnitude of positive influence that the leader can bring in the lives that they reach. Okay. Um, so great leaders are the ones who generations after them remember and bless. So... Uh, those people whose actions and their legacies are tested even by history and are still considered to be great. For us as individuals at this stage of our lives, someone says, why is leadership important? And why is leadership important as a Christian? Um, I've been reading again John Maxwell's book about leadership. And one of the things he says there is how that your leadership can be a lead, a ceiling, as it were, on your personal effectiveness. So even in your career, even socially, your leadership ability can be 
like a ceiling. So he speaks about the fact that as you increase your leadership capacity and ability, you also increase your effectiveness. So, so where do great leaders come from? What's the path? I hope that as we trace that path this morning, we can then somehow see if we are on a similar path or if there is way or space for us to get into this. So I just put a couple of things on the table very quickly. Uh, one is the path of our unique experience. And this is what I mean. Um, and, and this includes our pain. When I look through scripture, I, I'm amazed at how God calls people to lead from the places they have been. So when you look at David's life, uh, David was the gentleman who, when Samuel shows up in their house in First Samuel, I think 16, David is not at home with everybody else. He is not one of the sons that they call out when they call the, uh, the when they say, bring out all the you know children, and you know they then bring out the nice children who uh, can speak with Bookie's accent. You know, for example, he's really nice and American, and then you're like, ah, where is Folusha with her Nigerian accent? You can't really find her. <laughs> so it's that kind of that kind of but. I understand how that happened. I know you've told me before. Uh, um, so David is in that space where he's the one who is tend. So even when the, they say, are these all the children? Yes, the king. Sure. But then they remember. So David is the one who is rejected. And it's amazing how when you see the trajectory of his leadership development in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2, the Bible says, and all who were in distress or in depth or disconnected gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. And again, he then, of course, goes, you know, he's the one being hunted and becomes the captain of those people who do not have, you know, anything, as it were. So my question to you is, where have you been? And we've all been to different places. And I know that. We've all been to different places. Moses is the gentleman who has been on exile. In fact, I believe that God designed his life like that. He's the gentleman. So just imagine that you were a king. You all, so you were born Israelite. Your mother, you know, Shah, you know, did all the work, hard work. Then she puts you in the you know, gets you into Pharaoh's house. They're killing all your mates, right? And then you're in Pharaoh's house, you're growing up, taking you with Cyrene around town. You know, everybody respects you. You're doing well. Then I don't know how, for some reason, you get this savior complex. You think you're meant to save the world. You try to save the world. The world doesn't like you. Then suddenly both Israel and Egypt don't like you. Then you're in exile. And, but, but it's amazing how God looks for a person who's in a strange land. So not only are you on exile, you know, it's one thing to be on exile with like lots of money and servants, but you know, you're, you're on exile and then tending sheep. And then when God looks for a man who uh, will come and save his people in a strange land, he looks for Moses. In Exodus 3.12, in fact, God says to Moses, 
He says, you, you know, I will send you to them. This is the sign that they will come and worship at the same mountain where you've worshipped. So it's about the path where you have been, where you have, you know, what, what your life story has been. And when we share God experiences, it's amazing how people have come and gone through different places and things. Joseph, for example, would say in Genesis 45 and 5, that look, all this stuff that happened to me, it was actually for you. Uh, 45.5 says, And now do not be distressed or do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. When you read verse 7, it says, And God sent me ahead to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So help me tell your neighbor, it's, 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 it's likely that I was sent because of you. <laughs> okay, but, but I'm serious. It's likely that you were born in London because of the people God has called you to. <laughs> that was not a joke. I don't know why people are laughing, but it's okay. It's likely that you went to school where you went to school because of the people God has called you. For some of us, You've been, you've had some training. Some of you have had unique pain because of the people God has called you to lead. So when he speaks about Jesus, he says that we don't have a high priest who is not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities. So he has gone through the things that we have, we, we, we then go through. Uh, Philippians 2 speaks about the fact that he took form as human and then God promoted him. So, it's amazing how much of our path to leadership is rooted in our past experience. So I just want to lay that on the table to say when you begin to consider yourself in your leadership journey as ordained by God, do not think little of where you've been because oftentimes that is where your congregation is. That is where your congregation is. The gentleman who has failed a number of times. There are people who have failed, who God has given you opportunity, opening in space and time for you to lead. The lady who knows all sorts of degrees of sadness, there are people who are sad who God has called you to lead because there is a connection that you can make with those people that other people cannot make. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, but God comforts us in our times of trouble so that we can comfort those who are in trouble also. So it's our peculiar places where great leaders come from. But when Jesus, you know, picks his great leadership team that we've all heard about, where does he go to? Because I was thinking about this and I thought it's just a bit unlikely and unusual how he set aside, how he set up. So let's imagine we were the ones asked to advise Jesus on how to pick his 12 disciples. I wouldn't have, you know, chosen from where he chose, to be honest with you. I know some of you are more spiritual, you would have seen, or, you know, this way. For, for example, I would have looked for a well-schooled scribe, somebody who understood Old Testament I would also have looked for a Pharisee that was not too radical 
to be able to win the crowd of the Pharisees. And I know your mind is drifting to the American elections again. Come back to church. <laughs> Just come back. I would have perhaps said, let's get an expert language person also who understands several Jewish dialects and maybe some Greek. You know, some people who have skill, you know, proven. I'll probably also get some respected historians so that when we're having serious arguments about, you know, philosophy and history, we can, you know, the historian can just, you just can just say, okay, uh, Femi, talk to them. And, you know, Femi, I would get, you know, um, of course, I'll get someone who can handle security and logistics, <laughs> someone who can handle government relations, and someone who's passed the CFA exams, who has proven finance skills. That's the kind of team that Jesus needed, Right? True or false? Not these fishermen who haven't been catching. So fishermen who are mostly idle, they haven't been catching fish. Uh, Matthew, who is a tax collector that people don't like, they hate him. Um, some, you know, disciples of John, Judas, who everybody knows has other agenda. It's a it's a difficult crew that Jesus picks to start the path of great leadership for the church. And I think without the benefit of hindsight, you don't see that wisdom. And so I just want to start from that place to say, when you think of yourself and this whole discussion about our Christian faith is a call to great leadership, and then you say, but you don't know my story or me as a person, I say to you, do not think as men do, do not see as men do, think as God does. The Bible said of Jesus that he would not, you know, see, uh, he would not judge with the seeing of the eyes or the hearing of the ears. So when God chose you as a great leader before the foundations of time, he knew what he was doing. And when he has guided your f first couple of years, put you in the family that he's put you in, he knew what he was doing. Help me tell the person next to you, say, you're going to be a great leader. And I'm happy to be sitting by you. <laughs> take my number now okay. <laughs> alright so let's settle that everyone here can be a great leader okay. so how does that then happen very simple one scripture I like a lot Psalm 78 and 72 Psalm 78 and verse 72 speaking about David Psalm 78 and 72 the Bible says and David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And translations say, with skillful hands, he led them. So there's the development of what I call leadership skill and the development of leadership character. It says the integrity of his heart. And there are things which we need to learn. There are things which I am learning, I've been learning and trying to learn. Um, of skill, leadership skill, the things that need to be learned. I made a note of some. How to manage people. Just even how to define and communicate vision. How to create structure. Teamwork. All those things need to be learned. But the Bible says, David led by the skillfulness. So my question to you is, how skillful are you as a leader? I assure you that it is a disaster for
for a leader to try and learn how to lead when they get a position. I assure you. In fact, I think we don't have to go. We have lots of proof of people who we thought, oh, it's just God is just blessing this man. Ah, yes, 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 look at him. He didn't even contest. He became a governor. So essentially what you're saying is that he's most likely not ready to become a governor. How ready are you? How skillful are you? Um, how do I put this in a nice way? So we talk about a lot about young people. And we, you know, every time we laugh, I laugh a lot about, oh, how when they say the youth leader of X and Y is 50-something years. I'm like, ah, ha, 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 what nonsense. 70 years old, we laugh. But the questions people then ask us is that as young people, are we ready to lead? Because leadership does not necessarily respond to passion, social media accounts, and just to help you note that the number of followers you have on Twitter does not have a lot to do with your leadership ability. Okay? So how much leadership skill? David, you know, Bible says he led them with skillful hands. How much character have you developed over the last? Or are you developing? I like the way he puts this. Integrity of heart. Um, John Maxwell speaks about something he calls the law of solid ground. And he says that trust is the foundation for leadership. He says character makes trust possible. Trust makes leadership possible. And this one is asking myself, how many people genuinely trust me as a person? And this is important for us, especially as God beckons on us with leadership opportunities. Because when people do not trust a leader, they do not follow him or her. Uh, how many people trust you enough to follow you even if it's out of just curiosity? It's important. And remember what I said, you don't wait until you become the leader you thought God is calling you to be before you prepare for it. I mean, I don't know if this ever happened to you before when you go to an exam and in those days, they used to have these things they call four-figure tables. I don't know if, I think they stopped using them. But you know, you're bouncing into the exam and you just start carrying four-figure table. like, ah, why do we need four-figure table for this exam? <laughs> you're like, we need it now for this. Say, eh. You know, because there's nothing like being on paper. You're in, in the hall and, you know, you're just trying to say, please, can I have graph sheet? Like, graph. <laughs> graph. <laughs> and you've almost finished, you know. <laughs> graph sheet <laughs> you know and, and there's nothing like getting there on prayer you're just like no this is just this, this is just wrong <laughs> and I worry that too many of us are praying and speeding towards leadership positions without leadership skill and without integrity of heart and character and we can criticize the people ahead of us but I worry that there's a time of preparation. In fact, there's that law of process where they say leadership or leaders are not developed in a day. Leaders are developed daily. Um, which is why I said to people, when you get leadership opportunities in church, it's interesting. It's a different 
it's a different, so they say, I think it's Bill Hybels that says that church is the most um, leadership intensive enterprise in society because he says what happens in church is that people cannot necessarily pull rank on you. So when you go to work, the gentleman you report to can pull rank on you and says, I am your this, do this, right? If we try it too much in church, just ah, what is it now? Ah, no, but Samuel, why are you telling? Why are you talking to me like this? If I can't take this, I'm not ushering. I'm not even doing the ushering. Call pastor. I'm leaving. If I'm going to the choir to sing, you know. <laughs> but you can't do that in the office. You can't tell them in the office what is it? I'm not working in procurement anymore. I'm going to finance. That, you know that doesn't work. And so when you get an opportunity to lead in church, big, small, it's. I think it's an interesting opportunity to develop the skill and the character that you need to lead. So it says, David shepherded them according to the integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. Um, may I say something about counselors? Um, for now, it's, I, I worry sometimes that we do not give the people who lead or who've led before us enough credit. Um, when you look at Jesus' model for building the church organization in the early days, you realize that it was progressive. He would start with 12 people, then he would send out 70. The Bible will speak about 120. And the understanding of how to build organizations, the understanding of how to do things like that, it's stuff that you can learn from people who've gone before you. When you read Exodus chapter 18, the Bible speaks about Moses and how he lent leadership from his father-in-law called Jethro. Very important. I'll just read it. It's a slightly long reading, but I'll just read it to you because it's important. Essentially, what happens is, you know, Jethro comes visiting. He sees Moses, a young leader, done phenomenal work for God, millions of people. But what he meets is crazy. He meets Moses every day standing or sitting to try to judge over the people. No structure, no system. The Bible says in verse 13 of Exodus 18, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? Why all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. And he says, the work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me now and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. He says, you must. So he begins to tell him, these are the things which you must do. He says, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their dispute to him. You must pray for them. You must intercede. He says, teach them his decrees and instructions. You must teach and show them, you must model the way they are to live and how they are to behave. You should model for them. He says, this is what you should do. It says, but then select capable men 
from all the people. Delegate men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens. So understand different people's leadership ability and put them in different ranks and places and have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple ones or cases they can decide themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Fantastic leadership advice. And Moses learns this from Jethro, who wasn't the ruler of the people. So my question is, who are you learning leadership from? Where are you learning leadership? I mean, we've made a culture of criticizing leaders, and it's fair game every now and then. But So even if the leaders in your country are not leading well, surely there are people who have led well before who you can learn from. You, you read about Joshua and how he would follow Moses into the presence of God. In fact, in one place in Exodus 33, 11, the Bible says that even when Moses would then leave, that Joshua would stay there all night. So he found someone to model leadership from, uh, for him. In 2 Kings 3, 11, they would speak about Elisha and Elijah. And they would say, Elisha poured water on the hand. He found someone to model leadership for him. Who is modeling leadership for you? So as you come from your different parts, as you, you know, prepare yourself and you learn leadership skills and you develop the character, you must also position yourself to learn leadership from other people. Um, I, I put in my notes here that you should never undermine those in your life who God has put to shine the light in your path. And um, you all... I mean, none of you know that I have a pastor, uh, Pastor Godman and Pastor Paula Akinlabi are my pastors. And I don't, I'm, they're my friends also. Um, sometimes we do holidays together. Very nice. But I never underestimate what God is doing with him, through him in my life. So there are days I go out with him. When I go out with him, I humble myself. I don't behave like, oh, me, I'm pastor of LifePoint. You are pastor of Elevation Church. <laughs> Let's, you know, so, no, in fact, there are meetings I go for with PG. And I tell you this because we're in church. And I, I'm his PAO. Let's carry the Bible. So as one day we're going somewhere, they say only the pastors can enter. I say, hey, okay, no problem. I stand outside. You know, I humble myself. And what happens in those, because for me, those meetings are not, the priority of going to those meetings with him is not so that I can sit in the front seat. It's so that I can see how leaders who have gone before me are interacting, how they manage protocol, how they talk about things, and even hear the things that they say. Solomon who speaks about wisdom that is crying out in the streets. Sometimes when you read the book of Proverbs, when you read through scripture, and there's a way it reorders your understanding of leadership and your appetite for leadership. And I say this with all due respect, I find that there's a lot of rhetoric in our world today. Stuff that is flowery, nice, but lacking substance and ability to shape and change in the long run. So don't become lazy intellectually. Don't just look for, if the thing is not more, if the thing cannot fit into a tweet, then you don't read it. No, no, don't be like that. Be, 
read a book. Read something that is 10, an article that is 10, 15 pages long. <sighs> so when was the last time you read something that challenged your thinking? When was the last time you learned something new about leading people? In fact, what do you even really know about your leadership style? So it's important to find counselors. It's important to let God model leadership to you in front of people. So where do great leaders come from? Where do great leaders come from? Where, what is the path that you have to walk as you become a great leader? Two more things I need to put on the table and I'll wrap this up very quickly. I think that along the way, there's this concept of a love for people. A love, a genuine love for people. Um, PG says this every now and again, and I, and I think it bears repeating. That a respect for human life is one of the cornerstones that distinguishes between civilized societies and those who are not civilized. And you see it in safety standards, you see it in the way we plan our cities and the way we run our cities. You see it in the way we drive. Right? And great leaders are those who get to a place where they know that a human life is important to God. Every human life. That's why when you, you know, sometimes you're watching a movie and they say, oh, there's an American soldier left somewhere and we're all going back. And you know, as a Nigerian, you're like, ah, about 59 of you came out. <laughs> and there are plenty of the other people there. Ah, let's go and report <laughs> that God saved us 59. You know, and then, you know, even I am still getting to a place, I can't still understand it literally because, you know, it's, like, it's one, it's one. Maybe he wasn't watching where the rest of us were coming out. <laughs> let's go and thank God. Let's go, let's go. But no, the Americans say, ah, we're all going back. Going back where? You know, but it's that strange, almost annoying care for human life that drives them to excellence in the things that they do. Why did Jesus do all the miracles he did? Do you think he just wanted to show them that I have power? No, but just imagine that tomorrow morning you just wake up and you can you hear the word, you can just feel it that anybody you pray for, anybody that you pray for will be healed. Anything you say will be done. Ah. <laughs> hmm. What will happen if you first test it? You know, just once you see it's working leprosy healed this healed HIV ha. I know some of my people we didn't just call a crusade P.I. we must have a healing meeting on Wednesday in fact let's just go to the hospital I mean I'm just saying what, no, what ask yourself what will you do you know yourself I will call a healing meeting just to be humble just a small healing meeting but my point is Jesus did why did I ask myself why did Jesus heal people because when the devil shows up and says, oh yeah, show the power, he refuses to. And the key is in scripture, Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Matthew 9, 6, it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion. Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus looked and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed they are sick. And you know, history is full of people who get to a point where they say, look, I love my life. 
but I believe that there's so many other people who my life can help in one way or the other, but I'm going to go through with this. So Nelson Mandela that we called earlier, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, all sorts of people. In fact, leaders who get to leadership positions without compassion for their people become despots. They become tyrants. They become thieves. In fact, when we spoke in John chapter 10, looked at John chapter 10 last week, we spoke about strangers, about thieves, about hirelings. That's where they come from. People who come into leadership position without compassion for human beings. But that is not the kind of leader that becomes great. And it's not the kind of leader that God is calling you and I to. There's the law of connection in leadership where it says leaders touch a heart before they ask for a hand. So, I know that as we speak this morning, there are people who, there's an ongoing discussion in your heart and saying, P.I. does not know my life. He does not know my history. He does not know my circumstance. He doesn't even know that I don't have credit on my phone. That's why he's talking about great leadership and me becoming a great leader. He doesn't know about my weaknesses. And what keeps on echoing in my heart is that conversation that Moses has with God where he begins to show God his CV and says, I cannot do this. This is who I am. This is what I have been. Don't you know me? I quarreled with my sister yesterday. In fact, what I said to her, I cannot say it in church. Don't you? You know, he begins to say one thing. In fact, I have tried to lead before. And these same people, they made me social secretary of my X, Y, and Z. And it was a disaster. They impeached me, even in university. How can you call me a great leader? Or they asked me to lead a team in church. When I called for meetings, nobody showed up. Or 10 people showed up the first time. After I finished speaking the next time, nobody came. So, as you go down that path, I want us to remember one thing. As Christians, we say we have the influence of the Holy Spirit. Right? So, every time we, I know every time we show up for elections, we're coming very common, is that we say, ah, ah, are these the only two people we can find in this country? This is terrible. Ah, ah who we vote for? And I'm talking about Nigeria, not abroad. I'm saying Nigeria, say, ah, this is just terrible. It's just terrible. Okay, let's, and every time, you know, we, it seems like our political models will, it's unlikely that they will trump the kind of leadership that we know we need. And I just want to put something on the table for us. I believe that spirit-filled Christians are the best candidates to be great leaders in this generation. Because they, they say, we say, we talk to God. Abi, we say we have God's power. We say God lives in us. We say we stand before the one who has all power. We say the Holy Spirit, and I think in December we'll talk a bit about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We say the Holy Spirit, we have access to, but surely then we should be, it should, it might take a while to manifest, but surely we should make the best leaders. So when we teach about great leadership in the next 20 years, 
will they mention Yemika? Will they mention Okochuku? When they speak about great leadership in the next 50 years, will they mention Samuel? When they speak about great leadership, will they say Tulu? Ah! Will they call Emeka? Will they call Damola? When they speak about great leadership in your family, in your tribe, when I mean tribe, I'm not saying, you know, ethnic tribe, but in your tribe, your peculiar people with your peculiar experience, why, why should your name not be mentioned? So great leaders are those who recognize their God-given opportunities in their generation, in their families, in their nation, in their environment, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, progressively, very important, develop skill, character, and compassion, and thus leave positive change in their world, in the lives of people around them to the glory of God. That is a huge call. That is a huge call. I think that call is bigger than what will we eat, drink, where would we end up in the social status ladder. I think that call is a huge call. And I think if there is a God who says to a hapless fisherman to say, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you a great leader. I think we should talk to him about our own lives. I know there's a lot that speaks to us continually and says your life is just going to be ordinary and will not amount to much. But I stand to challenge us as a people this morning to say, look, there's so many opportunities to lead in this generation. But it will be a shame if our Christian people do not let God let them lead. There are so many people. I mean, it's just, I mean, you can just stand on the streets and on the streets of social media and you just know that there is so much that God wants to do. I would love to pray this morning for anyone who wants to uh, ask God that look <sighs> here's my life. It's just a prayer. It says here's my life. Let's make a great leader out of this person. I'd like you to please pray. And I know there are there might even be laughing voices in your heart as we say this prayer this morning. But it's just a simple, here am I. It's the Gideon standing on the floor of the wine press saying, who are you calling man, mighty man of valor? Don't you know who I am? It's the Saul who says, I am the least of the least of the least. It's, but it is God who says, I made you. You know, like Bukki quote in 29, 11 of Jeremiah before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I destined you for X and Y. 
God's calling someone out. He says, look, you've been hiding. They said that Saul was hiding behind the corn stalks. You've been hiding, as it were, behind the walls. You've been hiding behind your job. You've been hiding behind your past. You've been hiding behind your reputation. You've been hiding behind the difficulties in your life. You've been hiding behind what people have called you. You've been hiding behind your social status. You've been hiding behind poor performance. God says, I am calling you. I am calling you to be a great leader. And I'd like you to just please, in this minute or two, just ask God that he would create opportunity, that he would strengthen your character, that he would give you opportunity to uh, learn leadership skills. He will bring people your way to light up your path, that he will develop compassion in your heart. The Bible says that the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And he will bring you to the place where indeed you will become an example of great leadership. It's a huge call, I know. It sounds uh, very, you know, out of this world, I know. But God does not plan or do little or small. He, he made you for bigger than this. So would you please, would you please, would you please just in conversation with him this morning, just submit your life to him. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.